You're listening to Idea Collider, a show that explores the world of asymmetric learning. On this show, I will sit down with pharmaceutical experts and business leaders to discuss how to embrace uncertainty and the different learning style that follows. I'm your host, Mike Rear. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another fantastic episode of Idea Collider with your host, Mike Rear. Today, I'm joined by Gene Yu, the CEO at ReSecurity. In this episode, uh, you'll hear him talk about asymmetric learning as it applies to cybersecurity uh, and intelligence in general and what gives ReSecurity an edge over the competitors in the market. In addition, he shares the signal validation process that they use, how to understand vulnerability of your business and what you need to combat cyber threats. Uh, and clearly, you'll get links to how that applies to Pharma too. In addition, Gene talks about the what-if component in their learning approach and his leadership style and culture at ReSecurity, which has direct applications to a a more agile uh, business approach. Uh, I love the way he talks about things like the single pane of glass, which is a mistake that we've seen some pharma companies make. So um, tune in, enjoy, uh, and do, of course, uh, give us a rating at the end if, uh, if you've enjoyed it. Thank you. This series is all about what I call asymmetric learning. So the ability to learn faster, essentially learn faster than the other guy, right? So that's it in a nutshell. So one of the things that intrigued me and Brianna kind of went out on a, uh, on a kind of research hunt was to find people that could talk about, you know, a bunch of things. So security is one of those things, I mean, national security, but also cybersecurity about, you know, how you stay ahead, how you learn faster, how you remain competitive in an environment. Um, focused on you know, cultures of innovation, cultures of learning, you know, what learning means to you, um, you know, uh, and maybe with ReSecurity, how you stay competitive in, in an industry which must be like uber quick and, and, you know, and fast and reactive and responsive, what your processes are, you know, that kind of thing. So just really wanted to dive into the concept of learning and asymmetry. So, you know, staying ahead of the bad guys, I guess, is the, is the would be the main theme. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I read your site and kind of went through a lot of those things to understand what it was all about. You know, it's, it's, it's always interesting here about from a management perspective and as well as, you know, people that's in a trade, you know, in the trade about learning because learning is a big part of what, you know, our professions do, especially in the cybersecurity. The unfortunate part is they put so much emphasis on you know, the new bells and whistles, right? Security theater versus right. like, you know, pragmatically, I mean, this, our IT engineering cyber in reality has not changed or evolved to what people think they said, contrary to what people are saying. Because, and, and this is the same kind of ethos that I actually educate people on, which is like, if you keep trying to chase after the new terminologies or the acronyms, you're just going to fall behind in a, the pile of dictionary of acronyms. And what you should okay. do is focus on the, in, especially in cybersecurity, we, we, and this is the problem that a lot of cybersecurity professionals have in talking to the business and to the board of directors and the, the C-level suites, because they're so caught up in the technical jargons instead of translating it and educating them and it's kind of reverse learning, right? You have to educate people on what you do in a very simple and concise fashion. Um, I don't know if you know about the pyramid principle, which is like 
data, insight, implication, and action. That's the consulting principle. And in the pyramid principle, we often talk about, you know, learning is the data has nothing to do with insight or implications. Because in the management principle, you have, you know, there's people at the C-level management directors that have to make decisions and decision based on the evidentiary information. And people are so focused on telling you a long email about the data, not about the insight of what that data is, or for the next person to decide what's the implication that you need my action on. Hence the data, insight, implication, and action. Interesting. So what do you, uh, and, you know, if you dug into things like definitions of insight, because, you know, one of the things that we struggle with in the pharmaceutical industry, what's an insight? Um, is, is there a kind of working definition that you use? Yeah. So it's basically, why should I care? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. watch, what, does it impact me or the business? Because mm-hmm. like, I'll give you a perfect example. Co- like, COVID, I'll use COVID as an example. COVID, we have all of this data, but there's really no insight to what about the data? Like, should we do something as a person? Should we do something about it? And of course, you got these health officials as, well, all of these countries, there's uh, cells and growth, it's increasing and decreasing. And okay, so what? Mm-hmm. And there, there comes the insight. Well, Hmm. if you're in that region, you should get vaccinated. That's the kind of the ethos, right? And then the action I'm going to do is, okay, I'm going to go get vaccinated because I'm in a hot area. But people are inundated with so much data about, you know, COVID came from this. It's man-made or not man-made or, you know, it's it's spreading across this. You need a hand sanitizer. So much info that we don't have chance to take action with because and part of why i thought your your podcast your your thing was interesting was because you know oftentimes we're so people are educated in a very serial fashion and they just they they you know we're like information seekers right and trying to become an expert like we become google experts and instead of like okay like how do i gather all of this information or how do i learn new things in a manner that manner that is more portable and, and concise to what and how you should relay the message and like what is your role in that cycle? Yeah, so I'd be interested in because um, I'm assuming some of your clients and you know clients that you know of must come in because you know they're concerned about the action or the implication, but they don't understand the process of insight or data. You know, where do you, you know, how do you manage that kind of interaction between people who need to know stuff and people who need to make decisions? Well, I think this is where we as re-security differentiate ourselves in a very simple way. We don't, we don't have, we focus on one thing, one thing, which is intelligence. And I always tell people intelligence is not about the delivery or the presentation, pretty pictures. Intelligence is about data. And being able to collect unique set of data that is not readily available, what we call commodity versus proprietary or closed source. We have so many acronyms and we've, we've, we've educated the people to say, hey, there is you know, cyber threat intelligence or there's bad things happening around the world. It's like, well, no shit. It's been like that forever. You know, we don't need to go into cyber. 
you know, the burglaries happen every day, you know, theft happens every day, shit happens. And all we did, but those are public information. So, and what I tell, what I tell our client is, is like, look, we're not here to boil the ocean. We just want to know about your business imperative, business objective, your roadmap, understand what those are so we could see who, and this is where we get into the details of like, who, the, the answer that we answer for our client is who is targeting and how are they targeting? They don't yeah. care about, yes, you're breached. We tell you like who and how. That's the yeah. actionable intelligence that people are looking for and the board you know when we talk to them they tell me the same thing we have lots of smart people we have AIML. i spent you know billion dollars in solutions but you know I, you know i don't know if i'm getting breached i was like look you're trying to fill this void of 100 percent, and everybody has this metric thing going where they want to get close the gap to like 99 but that's not reasonable that's like saying your house is never going to get rob that's right. not humanly possible because you can't change the sentiment of a bad person who wants to target you and so what i tell people especially with our clients and the board of directors we have lots of smart people we have all these tools but i don't know what's going on i said well that's the problem is you're asking the wrong question you need to ask the very simple questions like are you being targeted that's the only thing that matters because now in the age of kind of the threats and the things that you deal with, we created such a big digital sprawl. Only thing you're going to get is because you left all these breadcrumbs everywhere, you're going to have the same kind of information and you're allowing the bad guys to happen. Think about Instagram, all these people that get robbed in Instagram. Why? Because they're exposing their wealth. (laughs) So if I was the bad guy, I'd be like, oh, that guy has a lot of Rolex watches. Oh, I see him dining here all the places. It's And this is exactly what I'm talking about when I talk about education. It's like, think about what you do as a person. It's no different what you do as an organization. When you go to the cloud, when you talk about digital transformation, when you're on uh, you know, your road trip talking to people about, hey, these are new products coming. It's going to you know crush the competitors. If I was a corporate espionage person, I'd be like, I want to know what that is, and I'm going to get paid for it. Right. Yeah. So you, you used the word fit, or sort of no, apologies for just rolling straight into this because I'm yeah, more yeah. advice, but uh, you used the word theater about this before. And I'm kind of interested in this idea of you know, cybersecurity theater versus kind of focusing on the fundamentals. What can you can you elaborate? Yeah. You know, the part of the, you know, in the last 20 years, we have, we in the, and I've been in the, operations side before I started this company. And I've also helped grow many startups in the past. And one of the big things that because there's not enough time, resource and money and expertise and all the things that happen in the world and the tools, you have to imagine there's roughly about 40 plus tool for any size organizations from the endpoint to network to privilege access, access control, mobile device management, patching, vulnerability management. There's so many tools, you can't become an expert. So what happens is people are start building these massive, and you're going to hear this a lot, single pane glass to like a command center view to see everything. But it, yeah. That's what security theater is. Yeah, yeah. they want to they be able to look at a platform and see 
you know, trending across the world, what's happening in China, what's happening in America. You know, they want to see like, you know, little missiles flying everywhere, like hackers showing. And this is actually a tr one of the product that in the past that got closed down, but they had this great visualization of, you know, these hackers attacking, doing DDoS. And you see this globe spinning as this thing happens. I'm like, what value does it absolutely bring me of having that pretty picture? Yeah, yeah. If you had somebody come into your, you know, security operations center and they see this globe spinning with active attacks, they're going to be like, wow. But it's like, that's, yeah. that's a joke, and yeah. which is why we call it security theater. So interesting to me because I remember being allowed to see this thing called IBM Watson, kind of, um, which is yep. supposed to be like a healthcare AI solution, and it was exactly exactly that kind of nonsense. They showed us this thing in San Francisco, and it was like a full wall full of spinning things and data. And as soon as you ask them a question, they run out of talent, right? So they couldn't answer any of the things that, that that they were showing you, but it looked great. So you know, whoever built the visual system was phenomenal, but the people that had the intelligence building it. Uh, you know, it was it was missing any of that? You know, rubber hits the road stuff. So. Yeah, absolutely. And part of you know, and I think what's happening in the trend wise is people are learning and being educated that you know they put these things to show people, but the, in you know check mark box off of an auditing requirement. But yeah. nowadays, because now the threats are real, you know, stuff are being turned off, healthcare systems, utility. Those are all impacted because now we're all connected device, IOTs, you know, whatever you want to call it. And because of all of this, you know, when you have these kind of technical espionage or technical impact to a production or humans life-saving systems, now they're saying, uh oh, okay, what is going on? Like this is like really devastating. Like either the security IT and the security team needs to really tell us what's going on instead of like you know oh we have monitoring in place i was like well no you don't <laughs> you just have yeah. commodity data and yeah so what's the um, so tell me past this so you know that that idea of a threat right you know as a just assume i'm a complete novice because pretty much i am here so how do you know that something is real how do you know it's a threat? How do you know that, you know, what's the what's the kind of language or philosophy that you apply to, you know, signal versus noise in an environment like that? Well, so there's a couple of parts, right? Threat is, you know, and then I actually did this whole demonstration and explanation to people about modern threat intelligence. I mean, threat is someone or group that is intentionally creating harm, whether mm -hmm. it's logical, physical, whatever, kinetic, whatever you want to call it, is somebody's willingness to do something to you. Now, that's very broad. Fortunately for us, it's very easy because we focus on criminals. Because let's be realistic. When you say a threat, threat could be anything. It could be electronic. It could be radio waves. It could be you know weapons of mass direct destruction. But People confuse the definition. That is a means to what a threat actor is versus what actual threat is, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we have many people that come out of the government agencies, military, and they bring in their lingo back into the corporate environment. And then from the corporate environment, the marketing team takes these special acronyms and wordings 
from the military. And then all of a sudden, everybody in the, the, our industry acts like they've been in the military forever. Like, you know, we need to create standard operating procedures. You know, we got to follow, you know, <laughs> and I'm just like, give me a break. Right. And, you know, I have friends that's been in the military doing, doing, you know, life-saving stuff to protecting our national security. And I'm going to, I tell you, they do not talk like that. And these are lifers that's been in the military. They they speak plain English. Like it's too complicated. It's like we don't want to deal with it. So I think for us, educating what a threat is, it's it's we're we're racing against the time with marketing terms because marketing puts out all these threat actors, threat adversaries. It's like, and I and, and basically in all my meetings and calls, like, look, they're just criminals. And yeah. that's really it is. I mean, and then when you talk about, and I try to explain to them, like they try to say, it's all oh, it's nation state. It's from China. It's like, look, I could give you thousands of thousands of thousands of evidence that shows that criminal are not, they, they have some enterprises, but that's like, you know, 1% ecleon of power, right? And it's kind of like saying every criminal activity is done by the mafia. Okay, sure. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, or the Chinese triad did it, or the Yakuza's did it. It's like, it's not reality. They have many subgroups that they handle the lower stuff. And it's not like the, the cartel doesn't operate like in this humongous vacuum. They have, you know, spokes yeah. and wheels to manage these things. But uh, the problem is, is what we talked about before with kind of tying back to the security theater, we have lots of, when you talk about signal noise, is that when people... We have so much commodity data, public information, and people create these AI machine learning rules to, you know, try to visualize something or imply something. The problem is, is because there's so much commodity, one vendor may say X versus another vendor Y and another vendor Z because they're trying to boil the ocean. So this is when we talk about Y versus D. You know, one of the things that, you know, like I mentioned before, we try to stay far away from this world events because like whether it's, you know, the war that's going on or whether it's COVID, because part of the problem is, is they're so focused on the event and the signal, all these, hey, look at what's happening in social media. And I think you already know when you're using social media, you've got sentiments and the, the AI machine learning that applies when a person is clicking based on their habits and utility kind of changes the narrative. So, and I always tell people, it's like, well, that's not really signal. That's called controlled propaganda. <laughs> it's a good marketing. And so yeah. for us, that's why we, we try to stay focused, not on the technical side of things, but on the business aspect of things. So if the business is trying to expand to different regions or they're trying to build a pipeline in Africa or, you know, they're doing some major motion picture in a secret place in Santa Barbara, you know, we want to know the business intelligence to yeah. actually tie the actors because biggest thing that everybody talks about is like, you know, there's lots of noise and, you know, it's like there's open source and there's private stores and public sources. Like none of that really matters. It's about, in, it's actually building chain of assets and developing assets. So yeah. 90% of our operation and people, it ties back to our human operations. So how much do you need to understand 
how a bad guy might think in that environment, right? So understanding what your business needs to protect, but also understanding its vulnerability must, you know, do you need to put, you know, how do you get into the mind of a bad guy in that, in that, in that setting? Well, <laughs> I'll say this very bluntly. I think you need to be in the gray in order mm -hmm. to really be able to, I guess in an American, American lingo way would be like, you have to be a criminal to know how the criminals think. Right. right? Yeah. Uh, I think it's a uh, psychology. I think it's a uh, mental. I think it's also a person's background uh, or somebody who's very curious. I know it's very broad, but in there is a, when you, it, I think there's a lot, a lot of saying about this, when it's who you surround yourself with mm -hmm. and we surround ourselves with lots of criminals. <laughs> that's the best way to put it. <laughs> That's a, that's a great business plan. Um, so I, um, so it, but it's always been part of the problem, right? Is that the imagination is often the thing that's lacking from the people that have the data, right? They, they you know, yeah. they can see things as they are, but they can't imagine how they might be. Um, yeah. I guess unless you're doing that mindset, you know, placement, that would be quite a hard thing to to, to be able to do. Well, the, you know, I have a stepson who is autistic. Uh, mm -hmm. He has a disability, and you know, he loves what I do because he thinks it's my, it's neat. And then he, I, he wanted to understand a little bit more. So what I told him was, I'm the bad guy going after the bigger bad guy. And right. that's like yeah. the best representation of it. <laughs> yeah, you're like the same bad guy. Yeah. yeah. But I guess in order to be able to do that, the kind of, because I'm assuming that technology gets built up on the bad guy side as well. Right. And you're, the need to stay ahead or the need to be able to be responsive or reactive in real time is, uh, you know, must, must include the awareness of how they're thinking about attacking. Yes, but here's the caveat. Mm -hmm. You know, first and foremost, we're a data company first. We gather tailored intelligence for our customers. That's the reality. Right. Yeah. Um, our platform is just a delivery mechanism. And I tell everybody the same thing. I don't have the prettiest look and feel my our platform i would say is like the most bland boring platform you could use right it doesn't have you know fancy lines and all this crazy stuff but i always tell people it's also like google of intelligence like you could find everything related to a bad guy what's happening who's talking who are they associated with all connecting the dots in our platform and that's why we call our context platform the workbench because it's a workbench for anybody to work on. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And uh, so, and your clients are then putting together their own solutions based on on, on what you're telling them, or or you're, you're just providing that kind of, you know, that threat evidence. Well, so I'll, I'll use the kind of the analogy of a castle right everybody is trying to build their own castle every business or individuals are protecting themselves from the harm you know you have your home iot device you have a fence you have you know double plated windows or whatever but you could only see so far right so like the military u.s military likes to call us the uav of intelligence because we go far yeah. beyond that wall and that moat to find out who is talking about you now, that's right. not a technology thing. Sure, it's a lot of signals, sensors to collect those informations, but it's also really about, you could say, almost like in a 
offensive operation to continuously develop these threat actors to understand what they're doing, how they're doing, what they're talking about, what are their interests, you know, do they like sports, you know, what are the kind of the synergies, synergistic converse with them. So. And um, and do you, so I'm interested in the kind of way that you might look at something like prototyping or, you know, developing, you know, what ifs, is, is that part of the, the kind of process? That, that, that you deploy because I mean there's the there's the cold stuff and then there's the what ifs and then as you say there's this kind of imagination for what the bad guys might do so is there a kind of you know what if component to your learning approach yeah you know what if is it's kind of like the risk framework right likelihood or probability of an event happening right the what ifs part of our data lake, one of the things that we've actually, from a technological innovation perspective, is to really implement and enable natural language processing and sentiment analysis using our own set of data. Because AIML is really about having fresh set of samples of data. Otherwise, it's learning from the same nonsense stuff, right? So because we have the most freshest data, we create a lot of these things to, to address not the likelihood or probability, the whole algorithm behind it, we kind of changed it to the threat actor's capability and their actual ability, that the what ifs, right, to do something. So in the past, people have talked about likelihood or probability as some kind of uh, metrics to show, you know, whether or not you should take an action or not. Instead, we took a reverse approach because we had the data and we had the evidence to show like this person is targeting you. That's not a what if. It's a evidentiary to say this person is targeting you. Here's the evidence. Here's how he's doing it. And by the way, he's actually gotten some of the data already. So nowadays, I think people are more focused on, you know, data loss, reputation, and just, you know, organizational impact, right? Uh, catastrophic, they call it category D, catastrophic disaster across the entire company. And that's what we're trying to prevent. Yeah, have you got any examples that you could quote from, you know, that, well, ones that you are public enough to quote that you could demonstrate some of those principles? Principles, no, but we have many work products we've done where we were tasked to do a very we're tasked to do certain things, whether it's government, military, enterprises. And, you know, we've been ahead when it comes to, you know, zero day that appeared in some phones or the nation state acting against another state stealing uh, military data. Because a lot of our work, unfortunately, has been done through a lot of these uh, work i think it makes it we're we and because we're a smaller i mean we have 75 people around the world but you know we're not we're just privately held company and there's a reason why i didn't take any vc money not because you know we needed the money or because we want a vc money because we get to do things uh interesting things and work with people that are interesting to us yeah and it's um so is the ability to see something before somebody does it the kind of critical factor in your industry? So, you know, a day ahead of somebody else or a week ahead is, or that you've seen it and they haven't seen it. What's the, what's the kind of critical dimension? 
Well, I think it's really being able to identify precursor to an event or mm -hmm. being able to actively monitor live event before they unfold. Um, yeah. A lot of times we're, we're already getting enough signals. We're getting door knocks on our doors, windows constantly, mm -hmm. and which is all great, but there's so much data, you don't know what to do with it. So, yeah, now, I remember a conversation with someone from the WHO about, you know, this signal to noise problem, right? So, you know, they're monitoring for pandemics. And my assumption was like, you know, they might get like one a week. So no, no, we get about 200 a day. Like, oh, what? Wait, what? Is there 200 signals that there may be something that's emerging, there's a virus, there's, you know, something interesting happening. And so what's the next step? Said, well, the next step is validation. So, you know, verification and validation. So do these 200 signals mean anything? Are they true? So that gets it down to about 30 per day, right? So, so like 170 of those 200 are just nothing. They're just like, you know, um, you know, what if, or we saw this case and nothing happened. So then from 30, you get down to, you know, a proper process of validation to get to, you know, and by the time you call a pandemic, actually it's pretty serious. So you've done this big filtering from 200 a day down to, you know, one every three years or something. So is that, you know, what kind of ratio do you see in terms of, you know, the kind of noise versus, you know, something meaningful? Well, that's what you're referring to as the classic upside down pyramid mm -hmm. <laughs> of information <laughs> funnel, which is you, every organization is dealing with, you know, millions and millions of signal per day, wind it down to the 10,000s, down to the 500s, and down to what's actionable or to after validation, it does something. That requires both technology and human. For us, I mean, use cases with our financial customer versus a manufacturing versus, let's say, oil and gas, it, it's also how do you weed out those noises right that's the first part we don't try to focus on a lot of the open source or commodity stuff um yeah. commodity meaning that publicly available like stuff you could buy which a lot of people do one of the big things that we actually work on is i mean we manage over thirty-six thousand plus unique sets of data sources mm -hmm. every day and i'm not talking about stuff that's publicly available so right. 24 hour period, we have 36,000 sources, signals coming into our data lake. And we're, we have a team that literally manages and validates that whole process in real time. And they have 24 hours to like, rationalize all of this and then pumps it back to our client systems so that they could actually gain meaningful things out of it. So let me, so let me ask you about that. So is your data like your data sources is that is that a differentiator for you as an organization so and then the next question is who decides where to go looking for data and what kind of data you're collecting is that is that also part of your special source yeah special sauce yeah it, it brings us money yes <laughs> but uh <laughs> i would say 20 percent of our data is like our secret sauce the amount of the data sources that is constantly hunted by our R&D team, that's the human side. So 20%, that's the secret sauce of our data lake, the volume of data, the quality of data, which is the most important. But then the 80% of our business and reputation relies on our uh, R&D team, which is our hunter unit, yeah. because they're the one that's constantly looking. Yeah, and how does someone know that you're right? I mean, you know, one of the challenges that, 
you know you face in an industry like pharmaceuticals is knowing you know you may signal something is true but then if you prevented it how do you know you know what's the you know how does how does that work how do you know that you're that you saw it that you called it that you were right about the you know any any anything that you provided kind of like what you said about the data signal winding it down on a monthly average i think i get on to maybe down to about two or three things where i need to escalate from a national security level like a major breach, major law enforcement action, military stuff where I notify or I work collaborate partnership with various government agencies, both domestic and internationally. But, you know, there is no kind of rhythm per se. What we do is we tried our best and share information where it's feasible, but, you know, we call them, we, we, because we're, we interact heavily with the the marketplace or the underground. A lot of times we could weed out, I would say good 90% of or 92% of the information that is either false, uh, bragging, or just a resell. And the thing that we care about the most is not the bragger, it's the resellers. Because reseller means that somebody already sold that data multiple times. And we want to get to the source of the person that sold it the first time, not the, not the, you know, resell like a wholesale, like marketplace. And, uh, and you mentioned law enforcement there. I mean, is that a sort of close relationship? Is that something they're doing as well? Or is that, or is it mostly delegated to private organizations? No, I've been, you know, I've been working with various agencies for a very long time. I think it's important to have industry relationships. You know, they have enough stuff to do protecting, you know, humans to businesses to politicians. I mean, they have their work cut out. And on top of this, now they have cyber threat. So we try to provide them with any kind of uh, intelligence so that they could, you know, do their criminal action that's impacting things. Um, it's, it's a mutual bi-directional kind of relationship, right? Because yeah. we want to do the right thing uh, by providing and partnering with law enforcement agencies. And then, you know, they ask us for things that they need help with because, you know, either somebody couldn't do it or, you know, it requires an undercover operation. Yeah. So, so you're a private company. I'd be interested in learning about your culture. What's, you know, what's your leadership what leadership style? What, you know, what, you know, how would people describe ReSecurity as, as an organization? Well, you know, I think our management team is very simple, flat. We don't have multiple layers. At the end of the day, you know, you know, you got my brother and I that runs the company, both from the finance and administration side and the technology. We have lots of smart people do it. Culturally, you know, we, I wasn't the best leader in the past. Maybe I was. Um, I think I've done my best to grow our industry and, you know, help with the industry but i also as i mature you learn things right you grow up and i think running this company uh, also helped me to see things a little differently not as an individual contributor but as a leader who's provide supposed to be providing vision so i took it upon myself and the team to really kind of reverse all these roles so we really do have a bottom-up approach everybody what they say does matter what they say does get implemented we have a very short sprints and development life cycle. We have a very short uh, decision time when it comes to what people wanting to do things 
professionally, personally, uh, and even for our organization. We hear what they want to do. We implement it right away and let them see that we do listen because we're because we're also very nimble and you know technology is not complicated you know you talked about the whole learning strategy you know all of us foundationally everything is the same we just put a lot of acronyms but it's still math from a technology it's also about logic and putting it all together you got to have to write you know talent and people to do this thing and you know, we've always been, believe it or not, 100% virtual from day one. So for us, you know, maybe we're introverted, but obviously <laughs> you got a leader who's, uh, you know, introvert stuck in an extrovert's body to make it a little lively. But yeah, we, but you know, we, yeah. we, we have a very bottom-up approach and we let people do what they want to do because we've known them for, you know, some of them since kindergarten. And we mm -hmm. had zero attrition since we started the company. Oh, really? Well. Wow. That that's huge because I guess I mean there is no I can't think of a an example where someone needs to be as agile as a, as a company like yours right which is like you're judged by today not by what you did yesterday so that must be a that must be a huge pressure on 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 your shoulders but to to kind of keep getting that right yeah and you know we try not to do any performance reviews we focus on you know value create value chain for our own team you know making them feel like part of the company not necessarily like you know, hey, this is your reporting was late. You know, this performance review stuff doesn't really work. I think it's, it creates a negative connotation because you're based on merit versus it's the same thing when people went to virtual, right? And every manager had a problem with, you know, performance and not knowing what people do because they have such a little draconian way of wanting to make sure like, you know, point fingers. And the reality yeah. is like, just let them do the work. And if yeah. the work actually gets done, then why do you really care? Yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting. I mean, we see this. I mean, there's a lot of pyramid structures in pharmaceuticals, and you kind of wonder, A, how it gets started, and B, how it gets maintained, because it's such a hard thing to do. And it's almost the opposite of any kind of agile organization is when there's decisions going up and down constantly, and the speed that it takes to, to get that done is, 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 is really tough. So is there anything that if you'd learned like five years ago that you feel like you'd have been in a kind of, you know, better place next to, next to what you're doing? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's more on the financial. Well, I, I don't think there's anything that I wish I would have known because this is where it led me to be a better person today. But the big thing obviously is, we're all trial and error based. <laughs> our entire mindset yeah. of our team is trial and error. So for us, anything that we made a mistake on or invested on that didn't turn out the way we did, for us is like, oh, now we know. And we just keep moving forward. And I'm not yeah. going to lie to you. I don't know how many times we've invested something or put effort into something or you know, decided to pivot on certain things. And then we swung it back because, well, it didn't work. And now we keep going. And this is the engineer mindset, right? It breaks, you fix. You break, break, you fix. It just kind of, kind of, kind of constant churn. But, 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 but I am fascinated by that, that idea of, sort of prototyping, the, the kind of breaking and fixing mindset, because it isn't the same, right? A lot of people want to get it right before they commit. Are you, are you trying things with a view to... If it doesn't work, then we've learned. And if it does work, then great. Or is it, what's the, what's your, what's your approach to that? Well, 
Our, our prototype ideology comes with lots and lots of talking. Technically, we know we can do a lot of things. So yeah. it's really the, and this is, you'll find this funny. We spend more time talking about the prototype. I don't, you know, what are, what have we learned from the past? What do we learn? How is this going to really impact the future, impact the competitors? And then there's more times when we talk about internally about a prototype and it never, but all, remember when I talked to you about the effort and then at the end we decided, you know what, we're going to pass. Mm -hmm. yeah. We build something, but the, for us, the big thing has always been like, we, we, we want to try different things. We want to really revolutionize technology or what we do, or we want to kind of make it, you know, impact at a greater level than just making money. And we right. want to always do the right thing by doing the right thing for our customers and doing interesting thing with our customers, trying different things. And that's, we're always chasing after the rabbit in a way, but we enjoy doing it. So when you have a team that thinks like that, it makes your life so much easier. Yeah. It's interesting. So Stephen Johnson wrote this book, The Enemy of All Mankind, which is really about the early days of you know British pirates. And he talks about the pirate ship as, as you know, actually being a very interesting culture of you know, very you know, narrow management, very lean management. He talks about uh, the kind of the, the role of democracy, because he talks about British democracy mostly coming from pirate ships, right? Because there was this said if everyone's dangerous, you have yeah. to have a process. Right? You can't just have a king telling you what to do. But the interesting thing in the book that I learned was that how many people who were on ships that were captured by the pirates wanted to go work for the pirates, right? That was really interesting. So part of that mindset, A, it's more fun and they're leaner and they're more agile and they've got a purpose, which you know, a lot of the other ships they were jumping onto didn't. They were just chasing the gold. So it's kind of interesting to hear, you know, you've got to have some fun uh, and also be slightly rebellious at the same time. And I, th I, I like that. And I mean, I like what you just said and the, what the book actually talks about when people jump into the, when they come, like, basically become a trader and, be, you know, be part of the thing. Part of it is, is you have to work as a team. You have to be a unified as a team. And when everybody thinks this way you do, talks the way you do, do the things exactly way you do or how you do with them, you know, then we know we have the right culture. And yeah. our learning process, our learning skills, our knowledge attainment, all of those is almost consistently equal to everybody. Yeah. So this yeah. is not about me being a CEO or any of that stuff. This is about operators. All of us are being operators doing what we know how to do exactly the same all the time. Yeah. Would you, you know, I know one of the themes that certainly the producer was keen that I asked was this, was this idea, would you rather appoint a disruptor or an innovator uh, to, 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 to re-security? I think uh, disruptor. Mm -hmm. Not disruptor internally, externally. Right. Meaning somebody who has the, you know, somebody who has the bravery to do the right thing all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think that's hard to, to do that? Absolutely. I think it's always, I think we see that across any organization, the courage and the bravery to do the right thing and, you know, being honest about it doesn't get you, you know, glory all the time. We're, you know, as a small company, 
you know, we, in the beginning, we struggle with that because people, A, didn't know who we were, even though people that knew us knew who we were, but small company, you know, coming out and saying that, you know, somebody breached, you know, parliament or government agencies or major fortune 500 companies, you know, they thought we were a joke, but, you know, but it was, a. Uh, but I think part of it was, is, you know, we decided we knew the kind of the blowback, but I think throughout the times people understood that, you know, these aren't just some kids that's hand typing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. In- interesting. No, it's a fascinating world. And I guess, you know, one of the challenges for you know people like me that read a bunch of stuff is it's hard to, to know what goes on in your world, right? It feels like one of those, you know, Hollywood type enterprises rather than a kind of, uh, you know, business as usual enterprise. So it's, but, but I guess people find cultures that they, that they embrace. Yeah. Yeah. So Gene, I've, I've realized I'm going to be able to talk, ask you questions all night, but I, I do need to wrap up. So how do, how do people find out more about you or about, you know, the, about, about the company? Uh, you know, if you could wave a magic wand, what do you hope the next five years looks like for, uh, for, 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 for the organization? I think I want to continue to grow, expand businesses, uh, our operations uh, into different parts, learn more about our potential customers. You know, we spent, we have more excitement learning about our customers, like in the military, governments, enterprises in different regions, different needs. Uh, it's interesting for us because it also keeps us human. Perfect example is in the Africa region, you know, their, their, their need for threat is not like, oh, there's a hacker that's stealing my money. It's like real threat. They have real, you know, terrorists. So it keeps us grounded. But for the, as a company, I think we want to continually grow uh, what we plan. All this organic nonsense doesn't mean anything to me. But we had a plan two years ago, and we continue to follow it. We've grown over 1,400% since 2019, and we are continuing to grow in the path, in the pace that we want, in the things that we want to do. So, you know, five years, I'll, hopefully we'll be talking again. Maybe this time we'll have a pint of beer and talk about it in person. <laughs> Absolutely. I, uh, I feel like there's a whole world that uh, you'd open our eyes to that, uh, that, that would surprise all of us. So, uh, and if someone wants to find more about you, Jin, what's the, what's the best way that they can do that? Are you easy to find on Instagram and uh, with the Rolexes? Or, yeah. yeah, just, you know, we're LinkedIn, you know, go to www.resecurity.com, uh, contact us anytime. And of course, for you, you know, if you ever want to just have a conversation or need any you know insight into things feel free to reach out anytime nice i really appreciate it it's it's been a huge pleasure thank you so much for uh, for a coming on the podcast and be such a illuminating interview thank you sir that's it for this week's episode of idea collider to continue the conversation visit our website at ideapharma.com follow us in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode don't forget to rate and review us on apple podcast Until next time, I'm Mike Rea, wishing you great success.